Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Romans chapter 1, and before we get started, I just want to take a, a real quick moment, um, and I want to say thank you, all of you, for giving my family and I this opportunity to take some time off the last couple of weeks. Um, your guys' love and support for our family really means a great deal to us, and uh, again, we're, we're super grateful for the fact that we were able to take some time off and spend some time with, uh, uh, with family and and, and really just kind of unplug for a little while. And I also want to say thank you to the, to the deacons um, and the, the teachers and the ministry leaders who all really worked hard to pull together um, and make sure that last Sunday went off without a hitch. I heard things went really, really well. Um, and I want to say thank you to uh, Johnny Wilson for bringing his, uh, his, his friends, his blue, blue, bluegrass friends to come and worship with us on uh, last Sunday morning. And I want to say thank you, uh, especially to Keith Baird for stepping up and, uh, and preaching the word, and not just one service, but two. And um, it's always a, a daunting task, especially when you don't do it all the time. Uh, but I just want to say it's a blessing to me to be away and know that the name of Christ was preached and that you guys worship the Lord and, uh, and God was glorified. And so, once again, I th- want to say thank you all t- uh, for, for your love and support. So Romans chapter 1, we're going to be reading verse 19 and 20. And the word of the Lord says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So a few weeks ago when I had planned uh, for this Sunday on my return, it was my intention to preach to you um, Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, which is the parable of the sower. Um, in fact, the, the bulletin actually reflects that. Uh, but it's actually one of my favorite texts, and uh, I think there's a lot to, to be learned uh, in, in the words of Jesus in that particular text. Uh, and it's certainly keeping with the theme that we started three weeks ago, where we are going to be looking at the parables of Jesus Christ that he, um, and, and how he used them to teach about the kingdom of God. And, and we started with a parable, if you remember, of the buried treasure and the pearl. And it's certainly my intention going forward for us to take a few weeks to examine very closely the parables of Jesus. But this morning, I actually have a little something different in mind. You see, while I was gone, I really this time made it my point to unplug and relax and, and really just take it all in, which is, if you know me, you know that it's, it's, it's hard for me to unplug uh, from all the things that I do, whether it's work or ministry. Uh, because being a pastor isn't just something that I do. It's, it's a part of who I am. And I've always been like this. In fact, my wife has made it really clear that uh, I'm a recovering workaholic. You know, I, I tend to be defined by my work. And uh, I take being a pastor very seriously. And so um, it's difficult for me to unwind. And it's difficult for me to, to just kind of like disconnect but I made it my, my point to do just that. And so we, we specifically set up this trip that we went on to do three things. The first thing is we, our destination was to drive all the way to Washington to be with my son and his wife and visit with them. Secondly, we decided to take our time driving so that we were relaxed. We weren't like in a hurry. We didn't get up super early on Monday. We left here like 11 o'clock. You know, we, we took our time and took it easy 
And third, we, we sent out a route towards Washington that, that, that we, we did so specifically that would allow us to experience as much of God's creation as possible. And so today, what I want to do is, is we're not going to talk about the parable of the sower. We'll do that next week. But today, I want to talk to you about, about how God ministered to my heart during this, this time that I had away. And uh, as I mentioned, the purpose of the vacation was to go to Washington to see my oldest son. We don't get to see him very often living so far away. Um, and, 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 you know, if we were to drive straight there, you know, it's a 17-hour drive. If we were to get in the car and go, but that doesn't include, you know, rest, you know uh, bathroom breaks or, or gas stops. So it's a 17-hour haul. And so we decided to take our time and really broke up the trip in manageable little chunks you know, and going on some little driving adventures. And so instead of going, you know, through Bakersfield and going up the I-5 where there's nothing to see for miles and miles and miles, we decided instead to go around and we went up the 395 north. And uh, we went through Bishop and Mammoth and Bridgeport, California, which is very beautiful this time of year. It is incredible. And, and the thing is, is growing up in Bakersfield and around Arvin and living here in the desert, it's really, really easy to forget that there are parts of, of California that are very green and parts of California that are very, very beautiful. Uh, there, there, there is so much pretty country uh, in California, specifically in the Sierra Nevadas. And so we enjoyed every single mile. We, we looked at every mountain. We, we took in every little stream, and we were amazed over and over and over again, every turn, we were just amazed at how beautiful God's creation was. And as we made our way north, I just kept thinking about, about Psalm 150, verse 6, where David said, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because there was just so much to praise him for. There was just so much beautiful countryside uh, to take in. There was, there was just so much. Everywhere we drove, it was just there for us. I mean, it was just like it was God had planted there for us to enjoy on our, our way through. There was just so much of it. And we passed through Lee Vining, which was beautiful. We went through Lake Topaz, which is beautiful. We stayed the night in Reno, and then we got back on the road and, and headed north into Oregon, and where we encountered all kinds of beautiful countryside, uh, like the grandeur of Mount Hood, right? It's a beautiful snow-capped mountain that you can see for miles and miles and miles, no matter which side of the mountain that you're on. And uh, once we crossed over, we made our way down the backside of Mount Hood and spent the night in Bend, Oregon. And on the next day, we got back on the road, and we drove uh, through tree-lined highways all the way to, to Washington. It was just, again, it was just exquisite everywhere we went. And then while we were in Washington, we spent some time outside, um, hanging out with a, at a, a couple different lakes. Um, the weather was beautiful, like I said. I think the, the hottest day was like 79 degrees, you know. So coming back to Boron was a little tough. Um, you know, and we enjoyed the, the view and the nice weather, and, and we, you know, we, we, we fished, and we, we swam, and we really soaked up God's creation. Hey, like Kim's little fish there. It's, yeah. She says that's bait, but she actually caught that on a little worm. But, <laughs> but, um, but we just really enjoyed, you know, hanging out in God's creation and making a lot of fun memories in the process. And then when we weren't outside, we got to spend some time at a couple different aquariums where we explored God's creation under the sea, right? And, 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 and I personally am just amazed about how creative God is. I mean, 
Obviously, God loves variety, and he loves complexity, and he loves beautiful things because he's made so many different, unique things. And it seemed everywhere I turned, I saw God's fingerprints on just about everything, on the trees, the rocks, the mountains, the animals, the fish, all the way down to the the tiniest little jellyfish. All of these things that God had created, were they were complex and they were unique and each suited to its own environment. It's, each one of these things seemed to be engineered for a purpose you know, and a place in, in God's creation. And once again, I could feel welling up inside of me this psalm of praise in my heart. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And, and then we headed, when we headed home, we decided to take the coastal route to Cal- of California. And we came out of Oregon through Grant's Pass, and we spent the night in Crescent City, California. And uh, I got to tell you that the, the northern coast of California puts God's creativity and beauty on full display. The vibrant colors, the rugged textures, and the sheer magnitude of mountains and, and, and trees and cliffs and the ocean are, are both awe-inspiring and really impossible to capture on camera or to describe. And then the next day, we, we went and we spent some time hiking through the California redwoods, exploring trees that stood hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air, trees that are centuries old. In fact, there's one tree that had fallen that was a sapling 3,000 years ago, that this tree, 1,000 years before Christ was born, just sprouted out of the, out of the earth. And there were, there were thousands of these trees, and they were, they were everywhere, and this This was just simply a magnificent and breathtaking spectacle to behold. And this was a little place that we stopped at. It was just a little, you know, section. It's called the Trees of Mystery. And it's just one small area in this gigantic forest that goes on for miles and miles and miles. The redwoods of California are just absolutely indescribable. In fact, we were driving along this, what they call the Redwood Highway, and we drop into this little valley called Richardson's uh, Grove, and it's like you, you drop into a room. It's so dark because you can't really see the sun. And trees are almost as big around as this, as this stage. It's just breathtaking. And, uh, and so we spent the day walking these trails, and we explored more and more of God's creation. And I just, I just kept saying to myself at every turn, let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his creation. Praise the Lord for his beauty. Praise the Lord for his blessings, like life and love. Praise him for the blessings of marriage. Praise him for the blessing of freedom. Praise him for the blessing of family and children and grandchildren. Praise him for the wonder and the beauty of his creation he's given us to experience. Praise him for the wonderful taste of food. Praise him for everything. Praise him continually. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And I could go on and on and on and on. And I have a lot more pictures, but I'm not going to bore you with all that. So, um, but I, you have to know, of everything that I saw and of everything that I did, and of all the ways that I was inspired to worship God, the thing that made the greatest impact on me, the thing that caused me to really meditate on God himself and his word the most 
was my experience in the deep dark inside a cave in the southern slopes of Mount St. Helens. And this place was called the Ape Caves. Now, the Ape Caves actually are not multiple caves, but it's really one long cave. And it's not even a cave. It's actually a lava tube that was created 1,900 years ago when Mount St. Helens erupted. Not the recent eruption in the 20th century. We're talking about nearly 2,000 years ago. And what's interesting is, is, is about these eight caves is that it, it's, it, it's the longest intact lava tube in the United States of America, and it's the second longest intact lava tube in the entire world. I mean, we're talking about nearly two and a half miles from one end to the next. And when you go to visit, the entrance is about two-thirds of the way through. And so you can either go to the lower cave, which is like three-quarters of a mile, then you dead ends and you turn around and come back, or you have to travel to the upper cave, where it's a mile and a half, and then you actually have an, a place where you can climb out there, and then you can hike down the, the, the surface of the mountain on the way back. Now, <clears throat> we actually decided to go to the Ape Caves is because I'd never even heard of them before, but my son and his wife went there before, and they had a great time, and they said it's, a, it's just something that we need to experience, and they wanted to go back. And so they told us that the cave temperature is like a constant 45 degrees, so we needed to, to, uh, to, to bring warm clothing, they hooked us up with a backpack so we could take a lot of extra water and snacks and things like that um, and have a couple of spare jackets. We stopped along the way to get some headlamps and some flashlights. So I felt really good about this upcoming journey. And, and, and like I said, they had gone before and they had some experience. And so I thought that we're really going to have this nice, leisurely hike through this lava tube. Well, I want you to notice something. My son and his wife on their previous trip explored this part of the cave. It was the lower cave. And I want you to notice under there where it says lower cave, it says easy, okay? This is important, okay? Because the lower cave has a relatively flat floor and it's a nice slow decline. It's three quarters of a mile in, three quarters of a mile out, no big deal. On the other hand, the cave we actually took was this cave. And notice the word here doesn't say easy. It says difficult, and you have to understand that there is a huge difference between easy and, and difficult. You see, my son and his wife had never actually hiked this cave. They just kind of assumed it was going to be like the other part. Right? They, they, they thought that it was going to be the same level, easy ground. We didn't, so we didn't bother right, to check online and read up about what we're getting ourselves into, right? Um, so let me read for you this, the, the description that's available online to any smart person, okay? The upper cave is a 1.5-mile rugged one-way trip requiring significantly more time than the lower cave, a great deal more caution, and some physical agility. Now, of all the ways that you would describe me, Physical agility probably wouldn't make the top of the list, okay? Just be honest, all right? But it continues. The upper cave is more interesting in route than the lower one, with the lava tube shape and size and geology changing frequently, as with also the walking surface. Because not far from the staircase, the passage encounters its first of many rock piles. So I want you to understand, on the internet, people lie. Because that was, they're, they are not rock piles. They are boulder piles is what they are. Right? They're not rock piles. 
And, 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 and when I say boulder piles, we're talking about like 20 feet high, some of them, right? And, and, and what you have to understand, there weren't a few rock piles. There were 26 of them, 26 individual boulder piles that you have to crawl over, right? And it says that you must climb up or over or around the, the abrasive rocks, taking care not to twist an ankle or, in some places, bump your head because some of the places you had to get through you had to really almost crawl. So near the three-quarter mile mark, though, it really gets interesting because you encounter the narrowest part of the passage, and what awaits you is a slick, wet, eight-foot-high lava fall, right? It's an eight-foot-high wall of rock. It's just straight up, eight-foot-high, right? And, and it says online, some people need assistance scaling it as there is only one significant foothold. And if, so if there is any you know, way to rate understatements, this would qualify for probably one of the, one of the highest understatements, right? And so, 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 so here we are, right? Once you've reached the lava fall, you're, you're about two-thirds of the way through the journey, and going back means you're going back over about 15 boulder piles, which means they're downhill, which is a little bit more dangerous, and the very first boulder pile you encounter coming in is the very largest and the most treacherous, so you have to go over that again. And so going back... M- really just didn't seem likely. So we had to figure out how to get this guy right here up an eight-foot wall of rock. Praise the Lord, we figured it out, okay? I'm not going to tell you how we did it. just going to say we did it, all right? But beyond the lava fall, there are a couple of rock formations that require some physical ability to climb, uh, to, to climb over or to squeeze around. And when they say squeeze, they mean that. And so needless to say, when I first descended into this cave, I had no idea at all what I was in for. What I thought was going to be this, this nice and easy leisurely walk ended up being a challenging and physically exhausting hike for even an experienced and in-shape hiker. But I have to tell you, as tough as this was, this was the highlight of my trip. Right? Of all the things that we did that we explored, this was my favorite part of the trip. I mean, if there's anything I'm going to remember and take home with me it's this time that we had in the upper section of the ape caves. And believe me, I came out of there, you know, tired. I came out of there sore, and my legs were heavy and like jelly. And, and my back ached, and I wore shorts. So my legs were all skinned up, you know, from one end to the next, from going over the rocks. And there were points during the journey I thought, <laughs> I'm just going to have to turn around and go back. I don't think I'm going to make this. But it was... It was a real challenge, but it was still the highlight of my trip. And the reason why, okay, uh, is because there in the darkness and in the deafening quiet, all there was in this cave was me, my family, and God. That's it. There was no television. There was no internet. There was no, there was no cell phone signal. There was no social media. It was just us below the surface of the earth, and we were separated from the entire outside world. No one knew we were there. I mean, satellites couldn't see us. I mean, we were, we were completely cut off. And there in the darkness, as we slowly walked and we climbed along, I found I was finally able to really think. Not might seem strange, but it's true. 
Because that's what you have to do. Is you're taking your time walking. You have time to just think. There's not anything else to do. There's not even anything to see. All you can see is what your light presents in front of you. You, you can't see the walls. You can't see the ceiling. It's just right here. And I had plenty of time to think. You know, it's hard to quantify how many distractions we encounter every day on the surface. We encounter noise distractions all the time. We encounter light distractions all the time. We encounter movement distractions, right? Technology distractions. In fact, technology uses all those things. It uses sight and it uses, it uses sound and it uses movement to get your attention. We live in a distracted world as we've talked about in the past and didn't realize how much has really affected my ability to just stop and to concentrate and to think. But there I was in the dark and in the quiet, it was really, really quiet. And I was really able to think and meditate. And I was able to think about God and who he is and about how glorious he is. And I was able to think about his word and who I am in light of who he is. And because there were no distractions, I felt really close to my family there in the dark because there, there was no screens to distract us from one another. There was nothing to divert our attention from one another. What we had there in the darkness was each other. And as we walked together and climbed and helped each other over rocks and obstacles, and we had to help each other, I felt even closer to the ones that I cherish so much. I had a, it was a wonderful experience there in the dark. And, and when I say dark, <laughs> I mean dark like you can feel dark, right? Dark that's overpowering. In this picture, the only light that, that's visible is the headlamp on Jasmine, and you can't see my granddaughter, but she's the one that's holding the flashlight. That's how dark it was. You, you, darkness was almost like it was creeping up on you. That's how dark it was. And then the, this picture that I took a second later, I mean, just a second later, I turned the flash on and took the same picture. You can see how much we couldn't see in the dark. You couldn't see the floor. You couldn't see the walls. And again, you couldn't see my granddaughter in the first picture. It's, it, it's, it's crazy dark in this cave. But it was there in that darkness, in that deep quiet, I really was able to get alone with God and concentrate on him and his truth. And this morning, I just I want to take a few minutes. I want to keep you very long, but I just want to take a few minutes and share with you some of the things that I was meditating on. And the first one I've already touched on is the fact that God is amazing and he's deserving of our worship. There inside of that geological wonder God had, that he had made, right, I was moved to worship him. In fact, it says in, in Nehemiah uh, chapter 9, verse 6, You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them and the host of heaven worships you. You see, I was in a lava tube that was created nearly 2,000 years ago, and it laid undiscovered until 1950. Until 1950, nobody had ever been inside this thing. This tube had been unexplored by human beings for nearly 1,800 years, yet God still made it, and he kept it, and he preserved it. 
And it reminded me that there's a lot of creation on this earth that we have still not explored. Not to mention what I haven't seen, but I'm just talking about human beings. There are parts of the, of the ocean that they can't even map yet because they, they've not explored that. So it's still on planet earth. And that's just our little bitty tiny planet. We have, we have other worlds in our solar system that are close to us that have not been explored. I mean, I mean we can see them. We can see them through a telescope, but we have not actually set foot on them. Right? We've not explored not a single cave, but God made them, and he preserves them. Not to mention the universe around us, billions and billions and billions of stars and trillions and trillions and trillions of, of planets. It's estimated that the universe, the observable universe, what we can see is 96 billion light years across, a number we can't even fathom, Right? And God created all of it in complexity and beauty and wonder. And what worlds still lie unexplored? What worlds will never be explored? How many caves rest still quietly in the dark on some lonely planet that will never ever be seen and known by man, but is still known and created by God? I think that that's why David's first verse in Psalm 19 rings true. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. When you think about the universe, when you think about creation, when you think about about quiet, hidden caves, it's easy to see that God is absolutely mind-blowing and creative and awe-inspiring, and he is powerful, and he's fully deserving of our heartfelt worship and awe. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He created each one of us to know him and to experience him and to worship him. Which leads me to my second thought, which is God is supremely good. As, we, as I walked along in this cave and I felt the cool air on my skin and I felt my heart beating faster as we climbed over rocks and my breathing became labored because I'm telling you it was some work. I became very keenly aware of the fact that I was alive. And that might seem really simplistic to you, but the fact of the matter is, is most of us, right, spend the majority of our lives not ever really thinking about the fact that we are alive. We just kind of assume it. You just assume that you're supposed to be alive. You just assume that that you have the right to be alive. That being alive is just a mundane fact of life for you. But in that cave, I was reminded that I was alive because God had ordained for me to be alive and that my life was a gift from him and my life was not owed to me. And my life could be taken from me at any moment. One fall in those caves, they're not carrying me out of there. I love my family, but I'm a lot to carry. One fall, my life could be over. One car accident, we've heard about those. One heart attack, one bout with cancer, or the violence of another person can quickly take away our lives. I'm alive right now in this moment because God has given me the life that he has given me, and he is by his hand right now, moment by moment, sustains me. And because of that, he is good. And not only is he, only is he good, 
Not only did he give me life, but he also gave me the faculties of sight and sound and touch and taste and smell to be able to explore this creation. God has equipped me with the tools to experience the beauty and the wonder of his, his creative work. And even more than that, he's blessed me with a family. And he's blessed me with friends. And he's blessed me with a church family who, who cares about me. And if, and if that weren't enough by itself, God has also then given to me his own love. Me. His love. And again, the words of David seem really, really appropriate where he says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. God is supremely good in every possible way. He's morally good. He is intellectually good. He is emotionally good. God in his goodness has created us with the capacity to know him and to love him. And God in his goodness gave us this creation so we could live and experience his goodness and learn, as, as Paul says, about his invisible nature. We can experience and get to know part of God's personality through his creation. But some people seem hell-bent on destroying creation. I have to admit that it really surprised me to find graffiti in the ape caves. I was like, who in the world would crawl down here to do this? Right? I mean, it just seems so stupid and destructive. I mean, you know what? You, you kind of expect it in the city, but like down here. And then I thought, why are you surprised by this? The fact is, people are idiots. And that might seem like a harsh thing to say, but really it's the truth. People are idiots. Right? Because we all can be idiots. And the truth is we're born that way. I mean, every one of us, we have the capacity to do some really idiotic stuff. Tell me I'm wrong. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You've done things in your life that would qualify you for the label idiot at least once. You've made bad decisions. You've done things to hurt other people. You've done things that, that have been counterproductive in your own life. You have acted the fool. Some of you even put it on Facebook. You have lied. You have cheated. You have blasphemed. The truth is we all have the capacity to do idiotic things because we are all broken sinners. As Paul reminds us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is a statement that we should all remember as we want to start pronouncing judgment on other idiots that we're all can, we are all sinners. We all fall short. In fact, Paul even gets really descriptive and says this. He says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The fact is we are all idiots at some point because we're sinners Every one of us is a fallen, broken sinner. We are not good people who occasionally do bad things. This is the foundational truth that every Christian needs to come to terms with. There are not fundamentally good people who do occasionally bad things. We are broken people who occasionally, by God's grace, do good things. That includes me. 
And that includes you. And the thing that we need to understand is we were born that way. As Paul reminds us that we're by nature, our very nature, children of wrath. We're, we're by nature, we deserve the wrath of God, which means we're actually in trouble. As Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, all, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God abides on all who have sinned. The wrath of God is stored up for those who have done idiotic things. And I've done idiotic things. God's wrath abides on everyone who is a sinner. And that wrath one day will be poured out on those who deserve it, which means they'll be cast in hell, which led me to this thought. Hell is a terrifying prospect. Nobody wants to talk about it. But it is a terrifying prospect you see, there was a point in this cave where we actually crawled across the rocks and we got deep inside where there was no possibility of any kind of lights. And we all got in a circle and turned off our flashlights and our headlamps and stood there quietly. And what you have to understand is that's a very unsettling experience. It's a terrifying feeling because invariably, within 20 seconds, somebody has to talk. Somebody just has to. They can't take it. And, they, and somebody has to turn their light on. They just can't take it. Being there in the dark is, is, is an unsettling feeling. It's a very unsettling feeling experience to look into the darkness and not see anything. Not a shape, not a figure, not a shadow, not an outline, not even a tiny little pinprick of light. Right? No outlines, just empty darkness. And that experience made me think about what it would be like to be stuck in a cave like that. I have a wild imagination, so it kind of runs wild in places like this. And I'm thinking about what would it be like to be in here with no lights and no one to talk to and no one to help you? Can you imagine being stuck in a place like this? What you have to realize is even with a headlamp, it was really easy to be disoriented because there was no horizon for your eyes to get fixed on. It was nothing, no reference point. And so, so I thought about how could anyone find their way out crawling across those rocks? Some of them led to drop-offs that were 25 feet down. It would be impossible. And my, my heart began to dread because it would be, be deeply horrific to experience to go through that. I mean, those soccer players in Thailand have been stuck in a cave for two weeks, but at least they have each other. Right? At least they have each other to love and hold on to and to talk to and encourage each other. But to be stuck in the darkness alone with no way out, with no one to be there to guide you, to talk to you, is a horrific prospect. And then it reminded me of Jesus' words when he talks about the outer darkness. He says that some people are going to be cast into the outer darkness a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And obviously Jesus is talking about hell. Right? And he makes a point to, to reference a darkness, a darkness that's so horrific and so terrible that people would weep and cry and gnash their teeth. And in that moment in the darkness, I could just almost imagine how terrible that would be. And I realized that as horrible as it would be to be stuck in a cave like this with no light and no other voices, as horrible as it would be to experience the hopelessness of never finding a way out, hell actually is infinitely worse than that. 
Whatever you've gone through, whatever you can imagine is possible, whatever the worst case scenario is, hell is worse. However horrible it may have been to be alone in a dark, damp cave with no one to rescue you, hell is much worse. Because in hell, not only are you cut off from everyone else in the outside world, you are also cut off permanently from God himself. Which led me to this thought, that God is with me even in the darkness. Even though that I was below the surface of the earth and even though that no one could see me or hear me, God was still there, present in the cave with me. And that gives me great hope because even if I became stuck and could not find my way out and had no prospects of rescue, I could still have hope because God would still be with me. And even if the worst would happen to me and I died in a cave like that, God would be faithful to still take me home to be with him, which still gives me hope. God is always with us, even in our darkest moments. And the reason for that is because he loved us so much that he made a way for us to be reconciled into a relationship with him. He said, the Bible tells us God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to the earth and lived a perfect life. He willingly went to the cross. He was tortured and he was killed to pay for our sin. He paid the penalty to set us free. He took away our sins and he gave us in return his own righteousness so that we could then stand holy and blameless in the presence of God. And those who repent and believe the gospel can look forward of an eternity not in the darkness, but in the very presence of God himself. Because Jesus conquered sin and death. And when he rose from the dead, he proved it, that it was true. The resurrection proves that Jesus is what he claimed to be, God in the flesh, and he can do what he promised to do. And he promised to save you from your sins, and he promised to take you home, to be with him for eternity. Now, there was this point in the cave about three-quarters of the way through, and and out of, as we turned a corner, we could suddenly see daylight. And I'm telling you, it was a strange experience. After being in darkness for so long, to walk into the light was, was really kind of overwhelming. It was actually kind of alien because, because the sheer darkness was a stark contrast to the light that we see. In fact, this picture kind of, I think, captures that idea. Now, now this day, this daylight... Was, was, was not coming from the exit that we were hoping for. Actually, it was from a skylight that was created uh, when, the, when the thin part of the ceiling of the lava tube had collapsed in many centuries ago. But in this moment, standing here, staring at this skylight, I was taken by the beauty that was being revealed by the light. And, and my dark world suddenly gave way to the green of the vegetation and the purple flowers, and the blue sky beyond, and the brilliant white light. And I, I realized I have a lot to look forward to because as amazing as this is, heaven must be really amazing. 
If God created this kind of beauty on earth, then what must heaven be like? If there exists on a broken earth such a breathtaking, glorious beauty, then what can we expect when we get to heaven? The Apostle Paul tells us what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of men imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. No one can fully fathom what heaven is going to be like. Heaven must be so very glorious. If there's this kind of beauty on earth, then heaven must be even more beautiful because this beauty is but a reflection of God himself. God's creation is simply a reflection of of who he is himself, which means heaven must be indescribably wonderful because in heaven we get to be with the author of this beauty. So we're told in Scripture, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of place, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Revelation 2, 13, 21, 13. Again, it can't, I can't fully understand what that's going to be like. But I know with every fiber of my being, with all my heart, that I have so much to look forward to. Because I can ex- because I can experience this kind of beauty in a hole in the ground on a broken planet, because of, broken because of sin. If I can experience that kind of beauty here and now, how amazing will it be to stand in heaven at the feet of our glorious Savior where there's no more tears and no more pain and no more sin and no more darkness or hurt, or strife anymore. What a, what a glorious future that awaits those who put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. That right there and so much more is what I experienced with God during my time off. And I want to thank you all again for giving us the opportunity to go and, and to do that. And I want to thank you for letting me share with you how God's been ministering to my own heart. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for the beauty of your creation. We thank you so much for the glory of all that you've made. Let everything that has breath, Lord, praise you. Let us all praise you. Let us every day, every moment, wake up and praise you. Even in the darkness, even in the hard times, let us praise you because, Lord, you are supremely good. And you have shown your love for us, an overwhelming love that just surpasses our wildest expectations, a love that makes no sense to me, a love where you sacrificed it all to save a people who reject you. And then on top of that, you give us good things. Not only do you save us from from ourselves, not only do you save us from, from the prospect of hell, but then you draw us into a relationship with you where we can love you and experience you. And again, then you do things like give us families and loved ones and friends. And you give us good things like food 
and you give us hope and you give us meaning and purpose in our lives and you give us this beautiful creation to explore and to, and to see and, and to get to know you better. Father, we rejoice in that. We worship you in that. And I pray, Father, all of us would take this seriously, Lord, and walk out of here with a fresh vision of who you are and prepared, Lord, to share the hope of Christ with our friends and our neighbors and this community, Lord. That you would change, Lord God, this town and you would rescue those who are lost and broken. As your word says, you came to seek and save the lost. Thank you for that. And I pray, Father, that you would glorify in us as a church and as individuals. And I pray, Father, that we would sing your praises all the day long. In Christ's name we pray. listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.